You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for June 10th, 2020. Later in the program, your weekly consumer watchdog segment, Better Beware, hosted by Richard Fish. Also coming up in the next half hour, Cade Young covers Tuesday night's protest at the Monroe County Courthouse. But first, your local headlines. In between May 3rd and June 9th, there were 339 new positive cases of COVID-19 in Indiana, according to the state health department's dashboard. From May 24th to June 9th, 15 new deaths were confirmed in the state. This comes after almost 5,000 new tests were issued. That brings the total positive case count to 38,337 people. The total death toll stands at 2,173 people. 320,094 total tests were issued in the state. 12% of all tests came back positive. Monroe County has seen 181 total positive cases and 17 deaths. Jackson County has seen 407 positive cases with two deaths. Bartholomew County has seen 540 total positive cases with 40 deaths. And Morgan County has 294 positive cases with 28 deaths. President of Indiana University Health Brian Shockney said volunteer and visitor restrictions would soon be lifted at the IU Health Hospital during a COVID-19 press conference on June 5th. He said social distancing and masks would still be enforced. Limited waiting and seating and social distancing will be practiced, so there will be limits to the number, continue to be limits to the number of people, even with the relaxing of uh, visitor restrictions that can come and where they can sit and where they can be in our facilities. And then uh, continually disinfecting. Uh, We know the chemicals that work. We have uh, great opportunities and great technology to be sure that everything is clean and safe. Uh, So we in the healthcare community uh, are the safest place to be uh, as far as cleanliness and support for care. Shockney said COVID-19 caused a spike in anxiety and other mental health cases. He encouraged the community to reach out for mental health help. County Health Administrator Penny Caudell spoke about the upcoming blood drive. June 23rd from 10 to 3, the blood drive will be held by Red Cross at the Monroe County Convention Center. Uh, You can call 800-RED-CROSS or go to redcrossblood.org to schedule an appointment. You must have an appointment so that social distancing may be maintained during that event. Caudell said the blood drive is sponsored by the Monroe County Commissioner's Office. A 39-year-old man was shot and killed at the Circle S gas station on North Walnut Street. According to a city press release, Bloomington Police Department officers arrived at the gas station at 2.11 a.m. in response to a call of a person being shot. When they arrived, they located the 39-year-old man in the passenger seat of a vehicle with a gunshot wound to the neck. According to the release, officers immediately initiated life-saving efforts, and the man was transported to the hospital via ambulance. Once at the hospital, it was determined that the man had died. He was identified by the Monroe County coroner as Michael T. Parker. 
On Monday, a warrant was issued for the arrest of the suspect, identified by witnesses as Dewan Lamar Kelly. The charges included murder and carrying a handgun without a license. The Bloomington Board of Public Works approved a temporary street closure on Kirkwood Avenue. City Attorney Mike Roker presented the resolution during their June 9th meeting. Uh, we would like to allow, or the business community in the city would like to support, allowing seating and merchandising encroachments to expand into the right-of-way during those weekends when Kirkwood Avenue is being shut down or portions of it are being shut down. That'll allow additional seating capacity for restaurants and additional space for merchants, which is particularly important at this time because social distancing is so important, uh, so capacity is, is at a premium. Director of Economic and Sustainable Development Alex Crowley said this is a trial to close all of Kirkwood to help businesses. He said the city is cautious to create any unhealthy situations. He said the Kirkwood Association made the request to close street portions for pedestrian use. It is their role and responsibility to get alignment for participating businesses. Um, that will be done not only for the initial period, but any additional blocks that may want to be closed off later on. It'll be their responsibility to uh, clear that with with businesses, so that relieves um, any of us from um, imposing something that might not be wanted. Crowley said the trial closure will include Kirkwood Street from Grant Street to Indiana Avenue. He said the closure will begin on June 19th through the 21st. Roker said after the trial, there will be a possibility for expansion and extension through September 30th, 2020. Indiana Department of Transportation announced construction contracts will go fully electronic, starting on July 1st. INDOT claimed it will no longer accept paper submissions. It relayed this information to insurers to send documents via email. These documents include workers' compensation and employers' liability, owners' and contractors' protective liability, railroad protective liability, business automotive liability, and commercial general liability. INDOT says if you have any questions, contact the contract administration manager Darlene White at darwhite at indot.in.gov. Monroe County Council member Eric Spoonmore suggested a date to hold conversation on criminal justice reform strategies during their June 9th council meeting. He suggested an open public meeting to be held on June 30th at 6 p.m. Community member Sarah Erickson said June 30th was not soon enough. I'd like to reemphasize and have every council member hear that every minute counts and there are people dying and you have a chance to work hard, to work quickly, to push these things up and to make a difference and set an example for communities around us. Community member Yvonne Deller said the timeline to hear the reform was, quote, humiliating, end quote. They expressed their disappointment in the council's last meeting to hire new deputy sheriffs and their timeline. You know, Sheriff Swain commented that he he happened to like bring his, his um, proposal for extra sheriffs to the table a month ago, which is after the Sean Reed murder by IMPD in Indianapolis. So basically, I'm just cu curious if the council realizes that that they let Brad Swain watch a murder on, on, you know, on camera by IMPD in, in Indianapolis and come to your council in, our, in Monroe County with a proposal to hire yet more sheriffs. And also does, the, does this council happen to know that in November 21st, 2019, 
uh, Sheriff Brad Swain had to fire a sergeant for coming to work drunk multiple times. Sheriffs in this county, I looked at your budget, our budget, the budget of the people who pay the taxes in the county, sergeants get paid $58,000 a year. So I don't know if the proposal that he was bringing was for um, sergeants or deputies, but a deputy gets paid $53,000 a year. And so I'm thinking two times 53 is a lot of money that could be spent on, on you know, things that aren't police. It could be uh, almost anything else. I urge the council to like use your imagination and try to try to grasp that last week was too late. A month ago was too late. Three weeks from now is like basically a joke to us. Deller further expressed concerns for Sheriff Swain's credibility to hire. Brad Swain is a, is one of the only sheriffs in Indiana who still does ice holds. So what he what his sheriff's department is allowed to do is profile um, black and brown people, as we know, but specifically brown people. And if they're undocumented, he calls ICE and gets them deported and, and sent to, you know, uh, ICE whatever facilities in, in Illinois and beyond. Like this is this is a... a uh, you know, a, a national and global issue. And it's being done by our, the sheriff in this very county. Like, are, I'm just curious if, if the council is aware of this. Community resident Kell suggested all money spent related to law enforcement be suspended during the three-week period until after the criminal justice reform discussion. Resident Morning Wilder asked the council to not limit the type of discussion or allow preconceived notions to guide the conversation. Community member Daniel Bingham said council members should come to the meeting with prepared law enforcement data. He said the data shows a failing system. The police aren't working. And so we need to come to this discussion. They're, like, they're not doing what we, we think they're doing. And in any other profession, that would be considered abject failure. And anybody working at that business would fail. Anybody doing that job would get fired. So we should come to this completely open-minded about not just reforming, but dismantling the police and replacing it with something else. Councilmember Kate Wills said the council is looking at the eight can't wait as a framework for discussion. She said she wants to make change and not get stuck in listening sessions. Council members unanimously approved the June 30th meeting at 6 p.m. People protesting at the Monroe County Courthouse were given an eviction notice to vacate by 10 p.m. Protesters remained on the courthouse lawn until midnight. For more on the story, we turn to Kate Young. Tuesday night, about 150 people gathered at the Monroe County Courthouse to protest the overuse of force by police departments. The protest was represented by Patrick Ford, media spokesperson for Enough is Enough. He said protesters were given an eviction notice to leave the courthouse square by 10 p.m. Some protesters stayed until after midnight. The Monroe County Sheriff's Department didn't arrive until the early hours of Wednesday morning. Patrick Ford talks about the goals for the protest, the eviction order, and demands for local government. Patrick, you are a media spokesperson. Uh, is it for a specific organization? Um, I'm a part of the Enough is Enough movement, um, the ones that uh, we organized in March for Friday. And then um, I've just been out here helping everybody for, I mean, we start, started this about, uh, I believe it was last Friday two Fridays ago. So um, I just come out here every day once I get off and um, make sure everything stays civil, but also I want to make sure that there's a common voice. Yeah, definitely. So again, you're the media spokesperson for this protest. What is your goal for these protests? Um, I think the biggest goal out of this whole thing is to make sure that at the end of the day that black lives are valued as much as any other life. 
And um, as I, I mean, as I always say, at least this past week, I think for the first time in our lifetime, we're finally seeing like a worldwide effort to bring the awareness to the situation that it, it truly deserves. The Monroe County attorney, Margie Rice, issued an eviction notice to protesters. According to the county code, Chapter 262 allows the courthouse to be open for public use from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Protesters were then asked to vacate the premises by 10 p.m. I asked Patrick Ford about the eviction notice. Um, so this uh, memo right here, this is actually um, what we were uh, handed to last night when they came out. Um, at 10 p.m. yesterday, they gave us a 24-hour eviction notice. Um, and at that point, they told us that anything out here would either be thrown away. Um, they did not. They weren't specific on whether or not they would be making arrests for people on the property past that time. But um, yeah, they they said by 10:01 um, tonight that uh, the whole setup has to be taken down. Okay. And um, this uh, this actually isn't from the sheriffs. This uh, this came from the Monroe County Commissioners and the uh, Monroe County Attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, the sheriffs are very adamant in the fact that they're supporting us, but they're just doing what um, they're being told by uh, the people that um, are higher up. Okay, I see. Um, and so this is this is referring to shutting down this whole protest, not uh, just the tents. No. They told us that um, we're allowed to protest anytime between um, 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. Um, and we can go after if we're on the sidewalks, but as far as uh, the courthouse is county property, and so they're going to enforce the um, they're, they're going to enforce the curfew, not a curfew, but the eviction notice. Um, so they, like I said, they're not against the Black Lives Matter movement, but they're shutting down as far as having a camper set up here. I see. Okay, so what would you like to see change in local government from these protests? Um, I think like when, I mean, we need, I mean. We need to make sure that our police are going through more social awareness training. Um, what a lot of people don't know is uh, police academies, um, they train for about 100 hours. To be a hairstylist in the state of Indiana, you have to go through 1,500 hours of training. So if you're telling me someone with a badge and a gun only needs 100 or so hours of um, training, but a hairstylist needs 1,500, I think that's definitely something we need to take a strong look at. Absolutely. One more question. What does the future hold for these protests? Um, I know that we are, I mean, we're planning more and more protests. I don't know if it will continue every night like this. I mean, at some point the protests will shut down. Um, But I know, like, uh, we're planning an event in Indianapolis on June 19th for Juneteenth. Um, So as far as the protests go, I don't know how much longer they'll last. But I think the biggest thing is that when people leave these protests, um, they need to be socially aware that silence is violence. So when you're out in public or you're at work and someone says something that isn't quite right, like, you have to be able to call them out. Because if we don't call them out, we can't change the world. At around 8 p.m., tents lined the grass at the Monroe County Courthouse. People who are experiencing homelessness were occupying the tents. One tent was painted with the words, Say Their Names. Many protesters shouted, quote, Defund the Sheriff's Department, end quote, and abolish BPD. The Spanish-Mexican War Memorial was spray-painted and hand-printed in red. According to the Monroe County Area Mutual Aid Facebook group, Residents were encouraged to bring food and water to people at the courthouse. 
Domino's pizza boxes lie in a row with fruits, vegetables, bottled water, paper towels, and other goods. A maroon couch sits nearby. The courthouse itself was covered in chalk as protesters wrote messages. One message written in blue and green chalk says, We demand political power. At around 3 p.m. on Wednesday, I talked to Brad Swain, Monroe County Sheriff, about the protest, calls to defund the Sheriff's Department, and the homeless encampment on the courthouse lawn. Here is that interview. I was wondering if you could explain what Chapter 262 of the County Code means. There is an ordinance uh, that uh, forbids people from being present on the courthouse property from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., and uh, I think it's been in effect for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a situation of the commissioners uh, contacting me and asking that uh, we enforce that mm-hmm. or that I enforce that. Protesters were told they needed to leave the courthouse um, by 10 p.m. And then law enforcement didn't show up till after midnight. So why did the uh, sheriff's department wait to send officers? I thought that was a prudent thing to do. So what do you make of protesters' calls to defund the sheriff's department? Uh, I think it's short-sighted. We, uh, uh, sheriff's offices generally are underfunded, uh, and it's just the nature of uh, how the taxing structures work. When I talk with members of the public, I explain that the population between, say, the city of Bloomington and the area outside the city limits, the population breakdown is about the same, but I have about a third of the number of law enforcement officers to cover, to serve the same amount of population, and about five times the square miles. Mm -hmm. So... uh, We do it with a lot less people and uh, provide uh, good service, but uh, to defund it uh, just doesn't make sense for most sheriff's offices. So the next question I have is people experiencing homelessness were staying in those tents surrounding the courthouse. When the sheriff's department arrived after midnight, did you ask them to leave the premises? Well, let me clarify that Uh, the tents were gone when we arrived so we didn't need to ask anyone to vacate a tent and leave Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was uh, generally people just standing around the courthouse lawn for uh, different reasons I suppose some to protest and others to uh, be around people Uh, and uh, I think some of the uh, homeless had uh, remained there as well, even after the tents were gone. 
so we explained the ordinance and uh, everyone cooperated almost immediately. We just explained you could stand on the sidewalk and that's fine. Uh, and most complied, they voiced uh, opposition to having to do that, but they complied. Uh, there was only one person who uh, we had to talk with him for about another minute to persuade him. He was lying on a mat to persuade him to uh, get up and leave. But uh, I think everyone had complied with the request within oh, a matter of a, oh, just a few minutes, uh, less than three, I would say. Mm-hmm. I see. And after talking to some protesters, I discovered that Protesters were working with Bloomington Police Department and the Sheriff's Department. So how have you um, worked together with some of these protesters? The people that I think originally uh, set up on the courthouse lawn to do the protesting have always, uh, when county uh, legal representatives and members of my office would come and talk, very cordial, uh, and uh, they were... uh, uh, the people we kind of identified as being the ones who organized the protests were cordial, understanding, and uh, uh, collected. And, and I was so happy that, you know, we explained that the tents had to go. Uh, and I was uh, really pleased uh, to see that they had uh, collected that property and already had it cleared out. Uh, so, uh, I found them to be uh, very uh, cooperative. Uh, they wanted to make a, a statement, which is a legitimate statement and complaint. They got their message out, and uh, they were a good work. And I understand the other organizations uh, have been very open and working with the Bloomington city government and police. According to Patrick Ford, If protesters remained on the sidewalk, authorities said there were no time restrictions on protesting through the night. Sam Cook's A Change Is Gonna Come played on the loudspeaker, while protesters swayed back and forth to the melody. It was 10.30 p.m. and still no word from the sheriff's department. A pickup truck drove by and held up their middle finger at protesters while screaming obscenities. A group of protesters yelled back while an organizer told protesters to not engage. The pickup truck circled around and did it once more. Protesters did not engage the heckler. Patrick Ford takes to the microphone to make another announcement just before 11 p.m. As you guys know, yesterday uh, we did a little eviction notice to be off this property by 10 p.m. And uh, based on my calculation, it's 10.58. So, uh, I think understand this is a victory. When we show in numbers, when our voices are heard, the system is scared of us. And I want us to keep having our little dance party and everything. Um, I just want to say one thing. When you guys leave here, the conversation conversation can't end. At some point, point, the protests won't be happening. The marches will be gone. 
but you'll still be there. Just coming out here holding up a sign saying Black Lives Matter, that's not enough. You gotta be you gotta be willing to have those tough conversations with family members, with coworkers, with everybody. I respect each and every one of you for being out here, but we got more to do and it doesn't stop now. It's only the beginning. And if we're gonna make a change, we all have to do it together. Thank you. Then the music begins once more. Protesters begin to dance until midnight. Then, in the early hours of Wednesday morning, the sheriff's department arrived. Most of the protesters cleared out. According to Brad Swain, there were no citations made. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. Now it's time for Better Beware, our weekly consumer watchdog segment hosted and produced by Richard Fish. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. A couple of friends of mine were discussing the COVID-19 lockdown and stay at home, and one of them said, gee, think of all the babies that are going to be born in eight or nine months. And the other one said, think of all the breakups and divorces that are going to happen. Well, we all know that relationships don't always last, and a lot of people I know have at least one ex, ex ex-spouse, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-whatever. Nowadays, there's a new electronic danger that's raising its ugly head in some of those cases. It's called stalkerware. Stalkerware is a program, a very sophisticated and perfectly legal program that you can install on your cell phone. Or, and this is the point, somebody else can install on your cell phone. It's a program that lets another person know who you're talking to, see your text messages, know your exact location at any given moment, in fact, see whatever you do online with the device it's on. There are legitimate uses for this kind of program, which is why it's legal. Parents can track their children with it, and some employers can even use it with consent to keep tabs on their employees. That's how it's marketed. But a recent Harris poll conducted with Norton LifeLock found that one in ten people admit using stalkerware to track an ex-partner. Now, let's be clear. Mostly, someone has to actually get hold of your phone physically to install stalkerware. There is an exception to that, though. If you have an iPhone and back up to the iCloud, if another person has your iCloud login credentials, they can put a stalking program on your phone that way. And stalkerware is pretty much invisible to the person being stalked. It's designed to be and it can be dangerous if there's an abusive person in the relationship or ex-relationship. Stalkerware has been tied to serious violence and some really nasty psychological abuse. So if you or someone you love has reason to wonder if they're being electronically stalked, what can you do? If you've got an Android phone, you can get an antivirus program like Norton or Kaspersky that will find it. But there's nothing like that available for iPhones. The program may be hidden as a battery monitor or some such and not show up at all unless you go into your settings and examine every app that's running. Uh, 
Sometimes you can take a phone to the police, who have ways to scan for stalker wear. If you find it, you can delete it. Or you can do a factory reset and reinstall all your innocent apps. Or you can put the infected phone away and get another one. But in some cases, stopping the stalking could make an abusive ex engage in even scarier behavior. Anyone who thinks they may be at risk had better beware. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines are written by Cade Young and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB programming online at wfhb.org. You too can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, coming up next on WFHB.